name is Whitney. I am one of the teaching pastors here at Connect. And if this is your first time here, welcome. Um, I saw a lot of people walk in today that I knew were running yesterday because they were walking a little funny than normal. Um, Jake, I saw you walking in especially. <laughs> but um, so we're in a series all about the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to continue on with it here this morning. And I love how we've been talking about like actual fruit. We learned week one, Dave's favorite fruit is strawberries. Does anybody love strawberries here? Okay. I am personally, I like bananas. Banana is my favorite fruit. I eat one almost every single day. But in all reality, what we mean by the spirit of the fruit is not physical, actual fruit, but it's the outcome that comes out of us when the spirit, the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us. We, we sing about it all morning, this morning. It's about the outcome of what happens when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us because the Holy Spirit is moving through us. It's, it's walking with us. It is literally doing life with us. It's kind of like having a holy roommate for life, right? And the past several weeks, we have been reading a passage in Galatians. And it was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he was a missionary. Basically, if you read the New Testament, he writes most of the New Testament, and he is out just planting churches in the name of Jesus. Um, and we're going to read that passage again this morning. So for those of you, if this maybe this is your first time here with us this morning, we can jump right in. But for us to truly understand what this passage means, we have to know what was going on at that time when Paul was writing this letter. What was going on at that time? So Galatia is actually a Roman province, and it, now it's in modern-day Turkey, and it was a very diverse place. It was shaped by people all over the world, and it was the blending of different cultures, of different religions, of different um, traditions, and um, basically it was from people from all different walks of life different backgrounds, beliefs, all different types of people, but all these different types of people started to begin to follow Jesus. So Paul would write, if you can imagine, there was tension in Galatia at this time. So all these new people from different backgrounds are following Jesus, and Paul is writing about this tension in the church. So we have the Jewish Christians, and then now we have the non-Jewish Christians, also known as the Gentiles. So the years following after Paul's planning the church, the group of Jewish Christians have come to the new Christian said, said literally, you have to abandon all of the things that you once did. Your traditions you have to abandon, all the things that you have once done. If you're gonna follow Jesus, if you're gonna be part of God's family, you need to just drop it all and do the things that we do. You basically need to become Jewish yourself. So these new followers of Jesus were basically told, you have to adopt all of our Jewish customs, traditions, in order to truly become part of the family of God. But if you read Paul's writings, this goes against everything Paul taught, which was you have to have faith in the person of Jesus, 
you have to have faith in the promise of, the, of Jesus, and that's what makes you be a part of God's family. So if you can imagine, there's this conflicting message, and, and this brought tension in the church. It brought division in the church, and actually, it kind of brought a hierarchy in the Galatian church at the time. So we have all of these new followers of Jesus when not too long ago, they have never even heard about God. They've never even heard about the name of Jesus. And now they're walking with Jesus. And actually they're being told that they're less than. And they were told, listen, you cannot be a part of God's family You cannot receive the love of Jesus. You cannot receive the blessings of Jesus. You have to earn your way for that. You have to earn your keep around here. So let's see what Paul does in um, in Galatians in verse 19 um, through 21. And to me, it looks like Paul's just kind of leveling out the playing field here. He's leveling out the playing field between the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians. So this is what he said, starting in verse 19. Paul says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish, selfish ambition, decision, decision, sorry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these, let me tell you again, as I've done before. It sounds like Paul's had this conversation with them before. He says, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul, in this letter to the Galatians, he lists all of these vices. He lists all of these sins. Now, some of these sins are more characteristic for these non-Jewish people, while other sins that he lists were more characteristic of the Jewish people. And he's basically saying, listen, yes, I know these, these new Christians, they have their things. They have their stuff that needed, we need to work on and we'll address it. But what about your anger? What about the envy that you have? Yes, I see that these non-Jewish Christians, they have their own things. And and like I said, we will talk about it. But before we do, what about you? What about the anger that you have been dealing with forever? What about the dissension that you're causing in the church, the division that you're causing in the church? Let's talk about that first. Many times these religious people will focus on the problems of other people, the sins of other people rather than acknowledging their own things, their own sins, their own vices that they deal with. And Paul is saying, listen, it's not about making them more like you. It's not about making these people more like you. It's about all of us, each and every one of us becoming more like Jesus. That's what this thing is about. We need to make space for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to grow inside of us, every single one of us. And if you look at the New Testament, you look at Paul's writings and it talks about uniting people, bringing people together who are radically different than one another and uniting them in the name of Jesus. Rather, it's the church in Galatia or the church here today It's about bringing people together who would otherwise have absolutely nothing to do with one another. It's about uniting people in the name of Jesus. And this isn't natural for us. It's not natural for us humans. What's natural for us is us to 
to be with our people, the people that look like us, the people that think like us, the people that like the same things, that align with the same party, that vote the same way. That is what is natural for us. So if we think about the church in Galatia and we read about the church of Galatia, it seems really messy. Like how in the world are these people gonna come together in the name of Jesus? But I think we can sometimes say the same thing about the church here today. What could we do to unite one another and bring each other forward in the same direction in the name of Jesus? Well, Paul tells us what we need to do. Paul tells us we already have the things that we need to do that. And first of all, it's the Holy Spirit. If you this morning have made that decision to take that step and follow Christ, we already have what we need to do that. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, we talked about it here, or we sang about it here this morning. And that Holy Spirit produces the fruit in us that we need to unite people together. So the past couple of weeks, we've talked about Love. Dave kicked off the series when he talked about love. And then um, Jason, the pastor at Great Oaks, he talked all about the fruit of kindness. And last week, if you missed last week, last week was so much fun. Uh, we had our first family service, which we will continue to do. And um, our youth pastor, Luke, and Josie, our Connect Kids pastor, and actually some of our Connect Kids, they taught us all about the fruit of joy. But today, I have the pleasure to talk all about the fruit of patience. The fruit of patience. When was the last time you lost your patience? Some of us don't have to think that hard because it was on the drive to church here this morning. We see you. <laughs> but when was the last time you lost your patience? Was it with your kids? Was it with your spouse? Was it with that per person you follow on Facebook preaching things that you don't agree with? When was the last time you lost your patience? So I was talking to my husband a couple weeks ago and I was sitting there and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to speak on patience. I don't know even where to start because my patience is very, very thin these days. And parents, I think you can kind of understand where I'm going with this. So uh, when the kids were let out in the summer, it was May, there was just like this fun feeling in the air, right? As summer brings, you know, we throw out the schedules, there's late nights, there's no homework, there's friends, there's fun, there's swimming, there's all these things. And it is just exciting. And then the middle of the summer comes and it is um, 4th of July weekend. I love 4th of July weekend. The best time, my dad has a pool, so we spend a lot of time over there swimming and we have friends and cookouts and all the things. But something kind of clicks after 4th of July weekend. Something in me kind of takes a turn and um, I don't love summer so much anymore um, that I once did. The, the, the 50 pairs of shoes at my front door that I thought was so fun, oh, all the kids are at my house, I don't love that anymore. And then the late nights I don't love and then I don't love, like my kids need some direction from other adults besides myself. So my patience is wearing thinner and thinner as the summer goes on and I'm ready, I'm ready for a schedule. I'm ready for when our kids go to school, I'm gonna be waving and smiling so maybe you guys don't agree, but my patience has worn thin. I have some yes. So patience is actually talked about 70 different times in the Bible. 
And most of the time when patience is talked about, it's actually being talked about when um, they're talking about the character of God. Our English definition of patience is basically us to accept or tolerate any delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. So today we lose our patience mainly because there's an inconvenience, annoyance, we don't get our way, or sometimes we are just merely offended. Today, we can hardly handle a minimum delay or slight comfort. So I'm a 90s kid. So I have this kind of built-in patience inside of me, if anybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, who remembers that the sound of the dial-up internet? I mean, this in this moment, I remember sitting in my basement in this moment, so many thoughts went through my head like, am I getting on the internet today? Am I going to talk to my friends? And, and when I get on, will I be able to finish my conversation before my mom picks up the phone? I don't know. A lot happened in these moments. But we don't have to worry about that anymore. But today, research actually shows if we were to click on something on the internet, if it does not load in three seconds, we click out. Like we wanted to look at this, but now it's not worth it, so we're out of it. But here's the thing. I want to focus on a little bit of a different different way of patience this morning. I want to put a little bit of spin on it. Um, So it's not necessarily patience with our kids, although important. It's not necessarily patience with our spouse, although important. I want to talk about the patience that we have as followers, as Christians, the patience that we have with others. Because being part of the family of God is going to require a lot of patience, like spirit-powered patience. And it's funny whenever you get in a Christian circle and we talk about patience and we talk about, oh, you should pray for more patience. And someone brings up, well, be careful because if you pray for patience, God may give you something to test you. And in all reality, he does every single day. And those things are called people. He People, they test us, Right. And if we want to be effective out in our community, if we want to represent Jesus well outside in our community, we have to be patient for those who don't look like us, think like us, act like this, or believe the same things that we believe. So I want to start off by doing a little bit of math here this morning. Like I said, school's getting ready to start. I want to get our brains ready for our math homework to come home. Luckily, um, my husband does all the homework for us, so... Really, this is just for you. Um, So I want to start off by doing a little bit of math. So in the same way this morning, we are talking about patience. Like I said, weeks ago, Dave started off by talking about the spirit of, of love, love. So if we talk about fruit, we truly can't understand what love looks like until we truly see and understand what it looks like for God to love. We, we can't really understand what kindness truly is until we see how God shows kindness. Same thing with joy. We can't truly know and understand what joy means unless we see what it looks like for God to have joy. 
So I want to pull up a couple scriptures here this morning. So if we look at 1 John 4, 19, it says, We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We respond because God responded to us first. The fruit of the Spirit is all about our response to what God has already done for us. So we love because God loved us first. Another one um, in 1 John 4, 8, it says this, whoever does not love does not know God. God is love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So we know God is love. It's a famous quote. People like to smack it on a piece of wood and put it on their wall in their house. God is love. One more, in 1 Corinthians 4, or 13, 4, it says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. Okay, this is where the math comes in. So love is patient, okay? So let's let's do a little math, let's carry the two, divide it by whatever, do a little simple algebra, and this is what we know. So if God is patient, I'm um, Susie, so if love, or if God is love, and we know that love is patient, so then God must be patient, right? Because all of those things are intertangled. So God is patient. So Peter, who was originally called Simon, is one of Jesus's 12 disciples. And I, and I wanna read what he has to say in Second Peter. It says this, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So if we jump down to verse 13, it says this, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Do you ever think to yourself, do you ever wonder, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Where's Jesus? Why has he not come back yet? Like I've read the New Testament and it says in multiple places that Jesus is coming back, but it's been thousands of years and where the heck is he? He's still not here. Maybe you've gone through a really bad season in your life. You're going through some, maybe some personal things, you know, relationships or financially or health. And you think it would be a great time to Jesus, for Jesus to come back now. Like my life is the lowest it's ever, ever been. Come on, Jesus. Now's the time. Or maybe we simply sometimes look around the world that we live in and think, let's get the ball rolling. Let's just have him come back down. But Peter explains right here where Jesus is. Jesus' delay in returning is his perfect expression of patience. Him and his delay in returning is his perfect expression of patience. God is being patient with us because he wants to give us ample time and ample opportunity to come to know him, to come to experience him, to come to love him and become more like him. He is being patient with us. If you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, you see time and time again, Jesus is being patient with his disciples. 
time and time again, especially that Peter, Jesus is being so patient with his disciples. He's constantly showing his mercy and his patience. If you haven't taken that step here this morning where you haven't decided to to follow Christ and have him be the Lord of your life, God is still being patient with you. He's being patient and giving you time and opportunity again to come to him, to get to know him, get to get to experience him and hopefully get to love him. If you do call yourself a follower this morning, if you've taken that step and decided that Jesus is the Lord of your life, he's being patient with you. He's being patient with us as we go through this very tough time of sanctification, which basically means us becoming more like him. He's being patient with us. And God just isn't patient just because there's a meaning to his patience. It's because he wants to see people come to him, love him, and be restored through him. There's a purpose behind his patience. So if we take a little twist here, let's see, if we look at what the Apostle Paul says about God's patience, this will then in turn teach us why we need to be patient with others. If we look at why God is patient, this will teach us why we as followers of Christ need and have to be patient with others. And he says this, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, I love this, a mere human, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? I love that he says mere humans, which basically means you sin. You, you do things that aren't good just as much as anybody else does It's just in our nature. But in this passage in in Romans 2, what Paul is describing here is when humans pass judgment on others, what we're describing here is our impatience. This is describing our impatience, us being impatient with someone else, us not showing patience towards someone else. If we remember, we did the math here this morning, which in turns means we are not showing love to someone. Because patience and love mean the same thing, which is also God. So if we're not being patient with others, then we're not showing love. The Bible uses the phrase long-suffering, sometimes in the, in the interim of patience. He uses the phrase, or the Bible uses the phrase long-suffering, which in turn, again, means patience, which basically means suffering something or suffering someone for a really long time. God has suffered us for a really long time. And when we pass judgment or we attack others, we are no longer suffering them. But God still suffers us. It says in Ephesians 4, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God forgave us. If God is being patient for all of us, for all of us mere humans, they say, so we can experience his love, his grace, his forgiveness. We must be patient in turn in hopes of that same goal for others. 
we must be patient in that same exact mission that God has. We must be patient for others so they can get to know God and love God and experience God like a lot of us get to do here this morning. We must look at every moment God is patient with us as an opportunity that he has given us to be patient with others. So how do we practically do this this morning? How do we practically put this into play on our day-to-day basis? So Luke actually talked last week about um, connecting to the source. So if we want to grow our fruit of the spirit, so specifically here this morning, patience, if we wanna grow in our patience, we gotta make sure we're connected to the source. We gotta make sure we're in God's word on a regular basis. We gotta make sure we are spending time with God in a regular basis. But then how do we tangibly get out there and show patience to others, again, who don't think like us, who don't look like us, who don't act like us, and who don't vote like us, right? I think what we can do is we we get inside their chariot. We get inside their chariot. And, and this is what I mean here this morning by that. So about a year ago, as a staff, we went to a um, event and uh, we got to hear Carlos Whitaker speak. He is a public speaker. He's a Christian. He's an author. He actually wrote a book called How to Human, which is so fantastic. Um, but he talks about this concept about how we as humans need to get in other people's chariots. And the story is based on the book of Acts, chapter 8. And I think this will help us figure out how can we, as Christians, tangibly show patience to others. And it talks about Philip. And Philip is one of the 12 main disciples of Jesus. And it says this, and starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip, he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot He heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet and Philip asked this eunuch, he says, do you understand what you are reading? And this Ethiopian man said, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he, the eunuch, the Ethiopian man, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in his chariot. They read scripture together. They, they read the Bible together. And then the eunuch then comes and asks Philip, please tell me who the prophet is talking about. Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So this is how the story ends. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? So he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. So this is what I wanna end with here this morning. Philip, one of Jesus's disciples, he's being told by the spirit, listen, go down this road. So he listens, he goes down this road and and then he's being told to go up to this man's chariot. And, And I'm no expert in this, but we have Philip from where Philip's from and this Ethiopian man from Ethiopia. 
this tells me that they don't look the same, that they are from two different lives, two different backgrounds, just two different people. And this man was also a eunuch, which means he was castrated because he was working for the queen. And this is just what you did back in the day. Um, But they were very different people. And I'm sure Philip said, listen, there's nothing similar about us. There's nothing we have in common. I don't want to do life with this guy. Now you're asking me to go up to his chariot. What if someone sees me? What if someone sees me go up to this man who doesn't look like me? And now you're asking me to get in his chariot? What if someone from the church sees me, right? What Philip could have done, he could have stayed in his comfort zone on the side of the road and yelled, hey, Jesus loves you. But he didn't. He went up, he listened to the Holy Spirit, he got in this man's chariot, and he got to know this man. And he talked to this man. And he actually had the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with this man because he got in his chariot. What would happen if we got into other people's chariot? Not to tell people what we know, not to tell people how smart we are, not to tell people what they're doing wrong and we're doing right, but to listen to them, to learn from them, and merely just to sit with them. In hopes, in turn, they feel our love, they feel our kindness, they feel our joy, And then hopes that they will be changed, not by us, but by Jesus. But only the fruit of the Spirit can do that. And the fruit of the Spirit benefits not only us, although it does, but it truly benefits our neighbors and and people who are not like us. So my challenge here this morning is I want us to all leave here today working on our patience with others. But by doing that, let's get into other people's chariots and show our patience to them and how we love and how we show kindness and how joyful we are because of what God has done for us and hopes God will do the same thing for them, but we gotta be patient. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you just for your Holy Spirit, Lord, just in this room. Thank you for filling our hearts, our minds, our ears. And I pray that we leave here with just more fruit that we can't produce, but only you can produce, Lord. I just pray that you give us the patience to be kind to others, to love others who are not like us, but it's because you love them. You love everybody, regardless of who they are, what they do, what their background is, and it's our job to go and love them as well. Thank you for who you are, thank you for what you've done, and thank you for just giving us the Holy Spirit to walk alongside us in this life. We love you so much, we pray this in your name, amen.